Lord Jesus, we do believe in you. We believe in you with all of our hearts, Lord. We believe everything the Bible says about you, Lord God. You are the omnipotent, almighty, eternal God and creator. Lord Jesus, you are the Alpha and the Omega. Hebrews 13, 8 says you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same allegiance and the same loyalty that they had in the first century to you, you command that today from believers to be completely committed in their lives to you, God. Father, change our hearts. Renew our minds this morning. Help us to walk in freedom, joy. Help us to walk in the Holy Spirit as we're completely surrendered to you, God. Lord, we love you and we magnify you. And Father, I thank you for the sweet presence that's here by your spirit and the fellowship of the saints and the worship and the scripture that's gonna be read. Lord, just let it minister to our minds and hearts. Father, we come in here, all of us come in here with stuff, with issues. I pray, Lord, that you'll move beyond our stuff and our issues and you'll touch our hearts this morning as we study your word. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. You may have a seat. Great to see everybody this morning. So thankful that you are here at Calvary Chapel, Irmo. But guys, I don't know about you, but I have been blessed by this study. And I hope you've been blessed too. And I hope that I've uh, helped open your understanding uh, of the uh, book of Revelation. Let's look so at a timeline. This is the end time event timeline. This goes from Jesus, this is the last days. The last days began after Christ rose from the grave, the church age. We have Jesus' resurrection, his ascension. Look below that, you see the church age. That's Revelation chapter one through three. That's where we're at right now. We are in the church age. You have the seven churches in um, Revelation chapter one and chapter two and chapter three. And then you have the rapture of the church. Uh, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, John says, after these things, he uses that phrase. What's after these things? After the church age. After these things. We go, we go into heaven. And this morning, in Revelation chapter 13, I circled it in red. We're in that seven-year tribulation period that is Revelation chapter 6 through 18, where basically all hell is breaking loose on earth. It's a, it's a tough and challenging time on planet earth as it, as it goes through we're working our way toward Jesus' second coming where he's coming back on the white horse and all the believers that have gone before him, uh, gone up in the rapture, will come back on the white horse. The literal thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, the great white throne of judgment, the lake of fire, then the new heavens and the new earth. But we're right slap dab in the middle, the seven-year tribulation period. So that brings us to Revelation chapter 13. So please turn in your Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 13. And the uh, title of my message is, that is the subject of the chapter, which is the Antichrist and the False Prophet. The Antichrist and the False Prophet. So let's take a look at it. Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. It says, And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horn horns were ten diadems, and on his head were blasphemous names. Now, if you notice, verse 1 begins with a sentence that ends with a period. It says, and the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. The first half of verse 1 in chapter 13 actually goes with Revelation chapter 12. What did we study last week? We studied, we, 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 we studied Satan. And if you go back and look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, it tells us there's no uh, interpretive challenge there that the uh, dragon, according to Revelation 12, 9, is Satan. So we begin a new subject halfway through verse 1, where he says, he saw the beast coming out of the sea. You know, uh, and this beast is the, uh, is the Antichrist. And notice he has ten horns and diadems. The ten horns and the diadems, uh, from what we can pull from the text, from what they, what they mean is this. They symbolize his strength and his power. We already know he's evil. We already know he's a bad guy. But now he's an evil guy and a bad guy uh, with, with uh, strength and power. In the chaotic and dark days of the Great Tribulation, the world will be desperate for a leader, someone with power and influence that can unite a divided, fallen world. Someone that is charismatic, someone that is strong. And guess what? 
this longing will be fulfilled. A powerful leader will come, up, come to our world and he will unify the world. For a brief time, he will bring peace and prosperity. But in time, he will be more cruel and sinister than any leader the world has ever known. He, this future Antichrist, will be the, the culmination of the history of evil leaders. What men like Alexander the Great, Hitler, and Stalin only dreamed of, the Antichrist will be. He will rule the entire world and be worshipped. Okay? Powerful dude. Powerful dude that's going to come on the scene during the Great Tribulation. And this is an interesting thing. When you take Revelation chapter 12 which is the subject of Satan, and then you look at Revelation chapter 13, which is the subject of the Antichrist and the false prophet, what you have here is, what you have here is during the Great Tribulation, there will be an unholy trinity. There will be an unholy trinity. You, in uh, Revelation chapter 12, you have Satan, who is anti-God the Father. Then you have the Antichrist, the world leader. He is anti-Jesus. We're going to see that this morning. In Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. And then you got the false prophet. The false prophet, he's anti-Holy Spirit. As we go through these portions of Scripture talking about the Antichrist and the false prophet, listen for the comparison. Listen for the comparison between the two. Uh, and, and then uh, the false prophet, he's described in Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through 18. Now, I want to give you a little backdrop. I want to give you a little backdrop on the Antichrist there's a lot more the Bible says. Um, the Bible says a lot about the Antichrist. If we, were, if we had time and we could be here all day, I would give everybody two Bibles. And on one Bible, you'd have the book of Daniel open, and the other Bible, you'd have the book of Revelation open. Because they almost mirror each other. But I'm going to give you a couple of verses this morning from this chapter that references Daniel and show you how that the Antichrist is the fulfillment of the Antichrist, that the vision that Daniel had in his book. So, but talking about names and titles of the Antichrist, giving you some background. The Antichrist is called the beast. This phrase is used 28 times alone in the book of Revelation to refer to him. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, you can look it up. Uh, the Antichrist is called the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction. He opposes Christianity. He opposes the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's going to oppose anybody that believes or worships Jesus. Listen to Daniel chapter 7, verse 23, being the fulfillment of this man of lawlessness or son of destruction. Daniel 7, 23 says, Thus he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms. And he will, here it is, guys, look, he will devour the part of the world, no. It says it right there in the Word of God. He will devour the whole world and will tread it down and crush it. In other words, so he'll, he'll, he'll conquer the whole world, Daniel 7, 23. He will tread it down and he will crush it under his tyranny. Okay? This ain't somebody we laugh about and joke around about. This dude's going to be serious. He's going to be a really, really bad guy. So he's called the beast. He's called, number, number two, he's called the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction. Zechariah gives us a picture of um, the Antichrist. We call this the foolish shepherd in Zechariah chapter 11, verses 15 through 17. Zechariah is talking about the shepherds of Israel, the context of that chapter, the shepherds and the leaders of Israel. And at the very end, he breaks off and talks about this unfaithful person that will come on the scene. Zechariah chapter 11 the Lord said to me, take again for yourself the equipment of a foolish shepherd. Uh, the word foolish in the Old Testament, it means wicked. For behold, I am going to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for the perishing, seek the scattered, heal the broken, or sustain the one standing. He but, but will devour the flesh of the fat sheep and tear off their hoofs. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword will be on his arm and on his right eye, and his arm will be totally withered, and his right eye will be blind. So this 
foolish shepherd, this antichrist person, according to Zechariah, he will not care for the perishing. He will care less. He'll have one agenda, and that's his evil agenda. To rid the world of Christianity, to rid the world of the worship of God. Um, he, he will seek the scattered. Um, he, it says he, he, he will not seek the scattered. He will not heal the broken. He won't care for souls or sustain the one who's standing. He will devour the flesh of the fat sheep. Uh, go, please go study this, study this passage. Go, go look up as many commentaries as you can. Many, most commentaries, commentators talk about this is the evil Antichrist here at the very end. It says he will devour the flesh of the fat sheep. The fat sheep, sheep is a picture of believers throughout the whole entire Bible. And he will devour the fat sheep. In other words, those who are strong in their faith, he will go after them to take them out. And, but then there will be a sword on his right arm and on his right eye. His arm will be totally withered and his right eye will be blind. This could be, this possibly could be a reference to uh, the assassination attempt that's taken against him in the, in the book of Revelation. Could be. I'm not 100% sure on that. But he's called the foolish shepherd. Number four, he's called the king who exalts himself. The king who exalts himself. This comes from Daniel chapter 11, verse 36 through 38. Talking about the Antichrist. Then the king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will speak monstrous things against the god of gods. He, but he, and he will prosper until the indignation is finished. For that which is decreed will be done. Just slow down a little bit here. Verse 37. This guy. He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers. This has led many scholars to believe that he will possibly be from the Jewish race. Because it says he will have no regard for the, guard, for, the, for the God of his fathers. He will not care for Yahweh. He, he will want to rid the world of Christianity. And it says, or for the desire of women. This dude that comes on the scene, he will not want a wife. He, he will not want to have sexual intimacy. Then it says, nor will he show regard for any other gods, for he will magnify himself. That's one of the key phrases in the scriptures that talks about the Antichrist. He will magnify himself. He will tell the world, look to me. Look to me. I am your savior. I am, remember he's, he's the Antichrist. He's the opposite of Jesus. He'll say, look to me. A God of whom his fathers did not know, he will honor him with gold, silver, and costly stones and treasures. Again, all this paints a picture of this complete worship given to the Antichrist during the Great Tribulation period. So he's, this, so he's the, um, the beast coming out of the sea. Later we'll see the uh, false prophet, which is the beast coming out of the land. Let's continue. Verse 2. Verse 2 in our study. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard... And his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and his great authority. One of the things you got to remember when you study the book of Revelation is <clears throat> you got to know your Old Testament. You got to know your Old Testament. The book of Revelation, the final book in the New Testament, quotes the Old Testament more than any other New Testament book. Why is that? Because the book in the book of Revelation, the Great Tribulation period, God is turning his attention back to the nation of Israel. So almost every single chapter in the book of Revelation, you have these references to Old Testament imagery. And it's the same thing with verse 2. This, this Antichrist is wicked because he is a tool of Satan. He is a tool of Satan. And notice there was three phrases. John says he was like a leopard, he was like a bear, and he was like a lion. According to Daniel chapter 7, the lion represents Babylon. What was known about Babylon back in the ancient days? They were fierce. They were fierce and they were consuming. The bear, what does the bear represent? Go back to Daniel chapter 7. 
The bear represents Medo-Persia. Uh, Medo-Persia was known for what? They were known for being powerful. They were known for being powerful. The leopard here in verse 2. Go back to Daniel chapter 7. Uh, leopard represents Greece. Greece was what? What, what happened uh, right before the time of Christ? The, 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 Greek, the, the Greek culture, it swept, across the, it swept across the land. It swept across the land. So the leopard representing Greece, they were swift to conquer. It went all across the land. This is a fulfillment of Daniel chapter 8, verses 23 through 24, where, where Daniel says, A king will arise, insolent and skilled in tree. His power will be mighty, but not by his own power. And he will destroy to an extraordinary degree. It says it right there in the word. And will and prosper and perform his will. And he will destroy mighty men and holy people. He will have no regard for human life. I don't like you, death. He, he, will, he will take people out at his command. He will send his armies to take out people, to kill people at his command. He will be, as verse 2 says here, he will be swift to conquer, fierce consuming. Why? Because look at the second half of the verse. And the dragon gave him his power. Why? Because all of his power comes from Satan himself. Verse 3. Let's continue. Looking at the uh, Antichrist. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. So what do we learn here about the Antichrist? What do we learn here? That this future Antichrist will be inflicted with some kind of great wound. It will be ugly. It will be nasty. Possibly an assassination attempt is what some scholars say. But he will be miraculously healed after this great injury. And what it is, is this will be a counterfeit. This will be a counterfeit of what? Jesus' death and resurrection. The Antichrist is going to imitate the true Christ, but he's going to be evil. The world will be amazed, and they will embrace the Antichrist because of his great power and his ability to escape death. One of the reasons we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is at the center of our life, because he truly rose from the grave. He defeated death, hell, and the grave, and he died on the cross for our sins. But this guy will be a fake. He will, he will be a fake. And the world will be amazed, and they will embrace him. As they're like, wow, look at this guy. He is truly the answer for the world. Imagine his, 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 his rule, his authority, his city will be somewhere over there in the middle of Europe, is, is my best speculation, because we believe that during the Great Tribulation that there will be a, what we call a revived Roman Empire. So somewhere there in the center, he will be ruling and reigning. Look at verse 4. It says, they worship the dragon because he gave, they worship the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. So here we see the Antichrist will be worshipped. He will be worshipped because the dragon gave his authority to the beast. He was his representation. The world's fascination with the Antichrist will quickly become worship. It will be like, wow, this guy's amazing. So what will they do? They will exalt him. They will exalt him and they will worship him. The Antichrist will demand allegiance. The Antichrist will demand worship. The world will bow to him. And in essence, by the people's worship of the beast, in reality, they will be worshiping Satan. And notice the second half of verse 4. Look at that saying. That's very important. I don't want to miss this. Halfway through verse 4, it says, And they worship the beast, saying, There's a meaning behind this saying, Who is like the beast? And who is able to wage war with him? During the great tribulation, this worship that's given to the Antichrist, 
they will attribute scriptural, biblical language to the Antichrist. This is a phrase that we use in scripture to ascribe to the Lord, to ascribe to God. But during the great tribulation, they will even twist the scriptures and they'll use scriptural language to attribute to the Antichrist. Two examples. There's about, there's many of them, but I just want to, I'm going to give you two of them. Exodus 15:11 says this. We, we're talking about the true and living God. It says, who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you? You, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working in working wonders. That's a verse of worship and adoration to our God, to our amazing God, the creator of the universe. But it's still, it's similar. The, the language they use will be similar to that language in their worship of the Antichrist. Psalm 113 verse 5 says, Who is like the Lord our God who is enthroned on high? And the answer, no one. No one is like the Lord our God. God alone rules and reigns, and he gets all the glory, all the honor, and, and all the power. No one is like him. But yet they, according to the second half of verse 4, they will use, who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war with him? That's, that's a, a, a language of worship given to him. Verse 5, verse 5 says, There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. Verse 6, and he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. So here in verses 5 and 6, you know, each, each word, each section highlights a different portion of the Antichrist. In verses 5 and 6, it highlights what? The words. The words that come out of the Antichrist's mouth. His arrogance will run deep. His arrogance will run deep. You think you've seen pride? And we've seen some prideful people. But this dude's pride, this Antichrist pride in the Great Tribulation, it will be at the highest level that we've ever seen. He will be so filled with himself, his arrogance will run deep, that he will blaspheme God. It says, uh, notice it says, to blaspheme his name. You know, he will blaspheme the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will blaspheme his name. He will blaspheme Christianity. And every single verse here is a, a fulfillment of Daniel. The fulfillment of verses 5 and 6 comes from Daniel chapter 7, verse 8. He says, while I was contemplating the horns, this is Daniel speaking, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and of a mouth, uttering, there it is, great boast. So Revelation chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, is a commentary on Daniel chapter 7 and 8 on this uttering great boast. He, this, this Antichrist, he will oppose God with every sentence that comes from his mouth. His words will bring death and destruction. What do Jesus' words bring? Life and peace and joy and salvation. They, they, they bring comfort. They bring healing, but not with Antichrist. His words will bring death and destruction because he's got one person on his mind, and that's himself in the worship of Satan. Verse 7, verse 7 says, It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. During the great tribulation, the believers that are there, the Gentile converts, Christians, the 144,000, he will hate them. It says there in verse 7, he will make war with the saints. The Antichrist will rage war against the believers. The believers that we've learned about so far in our verse-by-verse -verse study of the book of Revelation. One is the Jewish 144,000, the Jewish evangelists, 
that will go out to spread the gospel and the Gentile believers that were talked about in previous chapters. He will wage war. Christians during the Great Tribulation will be his enemies because they refuse to bow and worship. And as a result, many of them will die and lose their life. You see, when you become a Christian, you love Jesus more than life itself. Do you love Jesus more than life itself? That's the commitment that he calls you to. The Lord Jesus Christ, Christianity, according to the Bible, Jesus says, we lay our life down. Okay? A funeral takes place when you become a Christian. Galatians 2.20 says, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, that's... That's, that's the New Testament calling, is that we love him more than anything. I love him more than my life. I love him more than my wife, more than my family, more than I love you, more than I love anything. I place him first. You have that pecking order, you know, God, family, church, you know, and on down the line. But God calls us to love him first. And because they love God first, many will die. Many will die. Verse 8, it says, all who, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. Verse 9, verse 9 is a little throwback to Revelation chapter 1 through 3. We heard this a lot. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. It's interesting he uses this phrase here in verse 9. It's, it is as if to say, for the people that will hear the Bible after the completion of the canon of Scripture, please take this to heart. Please take this to heart. And for, for anyone who does not go up in the rapture and they, go through, they, they have to go through the great tribulation, um, look at what he says in verse 10. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Pay in other words, pay close attention to what is fixing to be said. Verse 10. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. And then he says, here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Verses 9 and 10 is a word, is a word to the tribulation saints. That God is sovereign God is in control, but all hell is going to be breaking loose on earth. And if you have to go into captivity, then go into captivity, but stay faithful to Christ. If, 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 uh, if anyone is killed with a sword, in other words, if, if you go into the great tribulation and you get into a situation where you're going to lose your life, this is the second half of verse 10, then so be it, but stay faithful to Christ. Is what he's saying. If, if anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone is killed with a sword, then the sword he must be killed. But, but when he uses that phrase at the very end, here, talking about what was just said, is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. This is the perseverance that the believer, this is the perseverance and the faith that the believers have to have during the great tribulation. It's going to be that bad. It's going to be that bad. They better buckle up their chin strap. They better buckle down and keep their focus on Christ. You know, unfortunately, it will take that for some people to get into heaven. They'll have to go through the hell of the great tribulation. But today, salvation is a free gift. And it's offered to everyone who repents and believes the gospel. To everyone who is born again. What does born again mean? Born again means you've invited the Lord Jesus Christ to come down into your life and for a spiritual rebirth, being born again. He's come into your life. He's come into your heart. And by the Holy Spirit, he's given you the ability to repent and believe and trust in Christ. Don't let it get this bad before you got to come to Christ. Come to him now. Come to him now. Experience his salvation today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. 
Let's experience him today. Let's not wait till all hell breaks loose. Verse 11. Okay, so verses 1 through 10, breaking this down, Revelation chapter 13, the beast um, from the sea was the Antichrist. He's described in verses 1 through 10. Now we're going to get into verse 11, and he's going to talk about the beast of the earth, the beast of the earth. And we believe that this is the false prophet. And as we study these, few, these verses, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to highlight some, some comparisons between the false prophet and the Holy Spirit that I want you to pay close attention to. Verse 11 says, Then I saw, here it is, another beast. That word another means this ain't the same beast we were just talking about. This is a different dude coming out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. And a couple things there in verse 11. It says, The beast with two horns, that references that this false prophet will be a minister, a pawn of Satan. He will be a pawn of Satan, the beast with two horns. And then it says, it says also there in verse 11, if you want to just look at these phrases, circle them, study them later, it says what? He's like a lamb. So this, this, this second beast is like a lamb. In other words, he will appear harmless. He will appear gentle. And he will even promote religion. He will truly promote religion. Not the true religion, but he will promote religion. And then it says at the very end of verse 11, he spoke as a dragon. In other words, this false prophet, this second beast that comes out, his words will be inspired by Satan. He will be the antithesis of the Holy Spirit. Everything the Holy Spirit does for the Lord Jesus Christ, this dude will do for the Antichrist. Let's look at verse 12. He exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. So we see the first beast, the Antichrist. Hope you're following me. The first beast, the Antichrist, he, he commissions he gives the second beast the authority to represent him in his presence. In other words, they will be a team. They will work together in this world order. And everybody knows that a world dictator cannot operate today's world without a religious figure. Okay? He's got to have somebody that's got the title of religion on them so that people have some kind of peace of mind, whatever that might be. But they will work, they will work in tandem. They, they will work together. And he will, uh, we'll see in verse 12, he's going to point people to the Antichrist. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound, I just read that verse, <laughs> who's to dwell. His mission, the uh, false prophet, will be to point people to the Antichrist. Just as the Holy Spirit points people to Jesus, so the false prophet will point people to the Antichrist. Verse 13, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth and in the presence of men. So he'll perform signs and wonders. Deuteronomy chapter 13 verses 1 through 3, uh, by the way, tells us that false prophets and false teachers can perform signs and wonders, okay? They can perform signs and wonders. Those signs and wonders won't be from God, though. They'll be from Satan, They'll be from the dark side. So just because we see miraculous things taking place by somebody on the world scene does not mean that they're from the Lord. It does not mean they're from God. They need to be examined by their fruit. They need to be examined by what they believe. They need to be examined by what they represent. But here, he'll perform miracles and signs and wonders that will appear to be real and authentic, and it will capture the people's attention. Verse 14, and he deceives all those who dwell on the earth. He's successful. He, he is successful in manipulating, twisting the truth, deceiving, and spreading his lies because of the signs which was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast. Again, they work together. The false prophets, miracles, signs, and wonders, uh, their, their point, their purpose 
will be to validate who the Antichrist is. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword. This is interesting. Look, second half of verse 14, he says, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wounds of the sword and has come to life. What I take this, what I understand from the second half of verse 14 is that around planet earth during the great tribulation, statues in his honor will be erected all across the planet. Everywhere there's a major city, everywhere there's a major community, there will be a statue, there will be an image. This was how Caesar extended their influence during the first century Roman Greco world. It was every city they would build a statue to Caesar. And that was a daily reminder, that was a daily image, verse 14, of who was ruling the land. Who was ruling the land? It's interesting. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a verse that we quote when we're sharing salvation. But what you need to understand, that Romans 10, 9, that was a death sentence in the first century. That was a death sentence. It, the, to confess Jesus as Lord in the first century was to say that Jesus Christ is Lord and Caesar is not. Okay? And for that, you could lose your life. But there will be these, um, these images of the beast that's put up around the world according to Revelation chapter 13, verse 14, reminding everyone of his rule and his, his authority. For the Christian, for the believer, for those who are filled with the Spirit, to see this, this idolatry will be sickening. It will be sickening to the believer's so not only will Christians during the Great Tribulation uh, suffer physically and emotionally, and it will just be all hell breaking loose on earth, but then they're going to have to see these idols. They're going to have to see these statues of this constant daily reminder in their communities of the Antichrist. It's going to come at them from every angle. That's why they got to be strong. they got to be strong. Verse 15 we're getting up close. If you read ahead, we're getting to one of the most famous parts of the Bible. Everybody wants to know, what is the mark of the beast? What does 666 mean? We'll get there in a few verses. He says, verse 15, And it was given to him to breathe to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast would even speak. So you're going to have these statues, and there's, there's just going to be this supernatural evil power that causes these statues to come to life and to speak to people. The satanic forces and the supernatural will be magnified during the Great Tribulation. It will be a tremendous time of signs and wonders like you've never seen before. Evil signs and wonders will abound during the Great Tribulation as even these statues, these images he talks about in the text will even come to life and speak to people. I don't know about you, that sounds like a scary movie to me. And I don't want to have no part of it. <laughs> I, don't to, I don't want to see no statue come to life or some, some kind of statue speak. But that, that will be the demonic influence during the Great Tribulation. That will be how dark the world is. And he says, uh, the, the second half of verse 15 says, and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. That's very important there. This is how believers will be identified during the Great Tribulation. You know, they'll have these communities, there'll be these cities, and those who do not, who fail to do not worship the image of the beast, ha-ha, they're believers. Because believers, Christians, will be the only ones that refuse to bow and worship the image. And this will be how, when they have their corporate city gatherings, you know, the world will worship the image of the beast, and those who don't will be the believers in Christ, and that will be how they identify the believers. That will be how they, how they extinguish them. Now, I believe that's how it will start, but as we get into this part about 666, you know, the, the number that everybody hates, <laughs> you know, you, you move to a new house, and you get, a, you get a new phone, and 666 is in the number. What's the first thing you do? You call the phone company and say, give me a new number, <laughs> Or, or you, uh, 
have an address with 666 on it or, or whatever. People don't like that number. People don't like that number. And it all comes from the passage that we're fixing to look at. Now listen, I'm not going to embellish this. I'm not going to go off into imagination land. I am just going to simply lay before the body of Christ what the text says. Okay? We don't know a whole lot about this mark of the beast. We do know some information about it. And I'm going to present to you what we can pull from the scriptures. And then the rest we'll find out when that day comes. So let's look at it. Now, keep in mind during the Great Tribulation, one of the Antichrist's jobs, for the past three chapters, Satan's jobs is he wants to get rid of Christians. Okay? He wants to rid the world of believers. He wants to eliminate the Bible. He wants to eliminate Christianity. He wants to eliminate Jesus. That's his, that's his prerogative. That's his agenda, is to rid the world of Christians. Keep that thought in mind as we read this text. Verse 16 through 18. And it says, And he causes all. So we'll stop right there. How, how many is all? Everybody. That word all in the Greek means all, okay? It means everybody than all there is. This will be world domination. He causes all small and great, rich and poor, and the free man and slaves. It doesn't matter what your status is. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter where you live. This will be all people, rich and poor, free man and slave, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. Uh, A mark on the forehead in the first century was a sign of disgrace. It was a sign of defeat. A mark on um, on the forehead, a mark on the hand was a sign of ownership. The mark on the hand, from what I've read and studied, it was a sign of what took place with those in the military in the first century, but the mark on the forehead will be a sign of disgrace. Um, Verse 17, and he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. Um, For the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. Okay. Scholars, theologians, and pastors have mulled over this for thousands of years. They've come up with all kind of different interpretations of what this is. The closest one that makes just a little bit of sense but is not complete is that some people will relate this to Nero. But it's a, it's a super long stretch to even connect it to Nero. To, some scholars will connect it to Nero, and what they do is they take the English name of Nero, they, they convert it to the Greek name. Then they take the Greek name, and they convert it to the Hebrew name. And then they take the numerical values of the Hebrew letters, and they add them up, and it comes up to... If it comes up to 666, if you add an additional N on the N, but in reality, it actually comes up to 616. But that's the closest. And to me, this supports my position that this is future. And we have not seen it yet. That this, this mark of the beast that will be used, it will be an economic tool that the Antichrist uses to rid the world of Christians because to take the mark is to bow to his allegiance and to to worship him. This mark, this mark um, will be the Antichrist final plan to snuff out and remove believers. He will use the economy to rid the world. That's the only way he will have left to rid the world is to use our economy. He will force, I'm just going to read to you what the text provides for us. 
He will force everyone to take a mark on the right hand or on the forehead, that without it, you will be unable to buy or sell food, water, and the basic necessities of life. To take this mark is an act of worship and obedience and committing oneself to the Antichrist way of life. He will attempt to force everyone into submission into his global rule. For the believer, for the believer living during the Great Tribulation, it will be reprehensible to have a number representing Satan on them. Therefore, it must be rejected by all those who love and serve the Lord. It will be a way, and a very smart economical way to find out who is not following him. Okay? The Bible says that the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. There's Antichrist with a Excuse me, there's Antichrist with a capital A, and there's Antichrist with a little a. Antichrist with a little a are all the people that oppose Christ, who deny Christ. But there's an Antichrist with a capital A that's talked about in the book of Daniel and talked about in the book of Revelation that he will command allegiance. And at the very end, during the second half of the Great Tribulation, he will kill and use the economy to force people into allegiance and to him. Now, when people ask us, when people come to you and ask you about the mark of the beast, or they may say, well, what is, what is 666? Friends, family, my position is we have to be careful not to go into imagination land, and we have to stick with what the Bible says. So I created a slide based on the text, and this is what Pastor David believes concerning the mark of the beast in 666. And I wrote it down so you could read it with me and write it down if you like. But according to verses 16 through 18, the mark of the beast, 666, it will be an economic plan of the Antichrist. It will represent his name and his person because it says that back in... Um, The, verse 18 is the number of a man, and it will represent his name and his person. He will force this mark, this number, on the world in order for them to be able to buy or sell. It will be used to snuff out and eliminate believers in Jesus. That's what this mark is. Now, we saw a couple chapters ago, everybody's going to have a mark in the Great Tribulation. Because we see, we saw a couple of chapters ago where God even marks the saints. So there's going to be a clear delineation between believers and unbelievers. But here in the very end, he's going to use the mark of the beast, 666, to, um, to extinguish believers. You know, that's why, you know, as believers, you know, they are to resist the mark of the beast. Because to, to accept the mark of the beast means that you're going to follow the Antichrist. You're going to follow his way of life. You're going to worship his statues. You're going to pay homage to him. But during the Great Tribulation, the true saints, the, the fortified believers, will say no, and they will endure all hell before Christ's return. So that, this morning, we've, we've looked at Revelation chapter 13, at the, actually chapter 12 and 13, at the unholy trinity. We see, we see Satan who's the mastermind behind all of this. And I think that is the reason why, if you go back to verse 1, I think that's why they included that first sentence with chapter 13. It says, And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashores. So the dragon is Satan, according to Revelation 12, 9, and he is on the sand of the seashores, and he is orchestrating it all. He is orchestrating it all. Now, it's going to be hell to go through, but to me, it just seems like the simple, common-sense thing to, to do today would say, today, Lord Jesus, I give you my heart. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. Lord Jesus, I put my trust in you. Please come into my life. It's a free gift. It's salvation. 
But God is going to allow this world to go into this great tribulation period to bring every possible soul he can out of the bowels of hell. Today is the day of salvation. We repent and put our trust in Christ. Have you done that? Have you done that? You have to you examine your heart, I'll examine my heart. Have you truly said, Lord Jesus, you are Lord of my life, and I'm trusting in you with all my life. I'm trusting in you with all my heart. If you haven't done that, what are you waiting on, my friend? What are you waiting on? It's simple. Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. Please come into my life, and I put my trust in you, and he will grow you in holiness. He will grow you into this personal relationship with him. He'll cause you to hate sin and love righteousness and follow him all the days of your life. It's a free gift. That's the message that we have for the world, is that Jesus offers eternal salvation and forgiveness of sin. And according to Paul in Thessalonians, he will save us from the wrath to come of the great tribulation. I hope you guys have been blessed by our teaching, by our verse-by-verse teaching. Our goal at Calvary Chapel is to teach the scriptures, to fight biblical illiteracy, and get you guys into that awesome, loving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ through the study of his word. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for uh, your word. Thank you for this study of the book of Revelation. Father, we don't fear because there's no fear in your perfect love because we have put our trust in you and we are living our lives for you. But Father, help us to understand the plight of the world around us for those who don't trust in you. Father, give us a passion for evangelism. Give us a passion to share the gospel. Give us a passion to invite people to church. Give us a passion to reach out with your love, your grace, and your truth. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for this morning's worship. And Father, thank you that greater is he that is in us, your Holy Spirit, than he that is in the world. We love you and we praise you. And thank you for this wonderful study from your word. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Amen.